0: Luke 24, um, Maz did a fantastic message while, while we were away, and, um, and I want to actually carry on in, and I know he, he spoke from Luke 24, so there's a little bit of an overlap, but I think it's worthwhile, it's a, um, anyway, so I'm just going to read it first, so Luke 24, I'm starting around verse 13, that day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, which lay, on, lay about seven miles from Jerusalem. So this is after um, Jesus um, had, had been crucified. It's, it's the kind of the Sunday. Um, and they were discussing with each other all of the various things that had taken place. As they were discussing and arguing with each other, Jesus himself approached and he walked with them. Their eyes, their eyes though, were prevented from recognizing him you're obviously having a very important discussion on as as excuse me you're obviously having a very important discussion as you walk he said to them what is it all about they stood still a picture of gloom then one of them um, Cleop- Cleopas, or Cleopas um, by name, answered him. You must be the only one in Jerusalem, he said, who doesn't know what has been going on here over the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. It's all to do with Jesus of Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet. He acted with power and he spoke with power before God and all of the people. Our chief priests and rulers handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. And now, what with all of this, is the third day since all of this has happened. But some women from our group have astonished us. Women still astonish us, men, don't they? They went to the tomb very early this morning, and they didn't find his body. They came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of the folks with us went off to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. You are so senseless, he said to them. So slow in your hearts to believe all of the things that the prophets said to you. Don't you see? This is what had to happen. The Messiah had to suffer and then come into his glory. So he began with Moses and with all of the prophets. He explained to them the things about himself throughout the entire scriptures. And I think Matt said last week, which I echo, is wouldn't that have been an incredible message to hear? Like, wow. Verse 28. They drew near to the village where they were headed. Jesus gave the impression that he was going on further, but they urged him strongly to stay. Stay with us, they said. It is nearly, it is nearly evening, and the day is almost gone. And so he went in, and he stayed with them. As he was sitting at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks. He broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, do you remember how our hearts were burning inside of us as he talked with us on the road, as he opened up the Bible in front of us? and they got up from where they were and they went back to jerusalem and they found the 11 and the people that were gathered with them and they said to them the lord really has risen he has appeared to simon and then they told of what had happened to them on the road and how he excuse me and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread so, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that, and the power that is, is wrapped up in, in every word that is scripture. And I pray this morning in our time together, and already that you've been so faithful, God, would you continue to meet with us today? Would you encounter us? And would we know that we have met with the living God? We pray this in your name. Amen. Right. We most certainly can read and kind of filter through, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like for us all to put ourselves in the perspective of those two followers of Jesus, those two disciples as we've gone and kind of gone along. But it's really hard for us, 2,000 plus years later, um, not to sort of view it all with the benefit of hindsight. You know, like in those moments walking along the road, the, the disappointment, the arguing, the, the gloom that they felt, you know, we all know that, oh, just hold on. <laughs> you know, hold on, this is going to get really good for you really soon. Like, you know, you're going you're gonna to see stuff that's going to make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Like, this is, it's all going to work out. Like, so we read all of it with this, this wonderful sense of, of context and of hindsight. You know it was just a couple of weeks ago that we celebrated and we read through um, luke nineteen where where jesus palm sunday where where Lots of followers of Jesus, all of the um, people had, or, excuse me, in Jerusalem were celebrating and they were, and they were crying out, you know, that blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, remember that? And, and Jesus had come in to Jerusalem, this is just a couple of weeks ago, but he came in riding a donkey, this, this ultimate symbol of humility. He came in riding, riding a donkey, not a war horse. You know, Jesus was coming not, not from a place of, of political or of economic or of military power. And there is something wrapped up within this, within this scripture that I think that we really do need to remind ourselves 2,000 long years later. There's an important message that we, we can grab hold of that we need to take with us. There's something incredibly relevant and, and such a needed encouragement for us as we follow Jesus. So wherever you're at on this journey of following Jesus, if you're not even sure that you are yet or not, this will be an incredible message that you need to take with you. And if you've been a follower of Jesus for a really, really long time, this is is so important for us to take with us. And it is that as we follow Jesus through this life, there are inevitably luggage or baggage that we pick up along our way which is the things the way life should be you think about it like like as just right now in your life there are there are there are things that we carry with us through this life that are are just those unspoken things this is the way life should be It, we, we look at our health and our well-being, whether it's our physical health, of, of like there's just, we should be this. We should be healthy. There, there are, we carry with us expectations in our relationships. This is the way our marriage should be. This is the way our relationship with our children should be. Our teenagers should be. When we think about our relationships with our parents or, or our siblings, there are, we have these spoken or unspoken should-bes around what life or relationship should be like. In our business, in our relationships with our money in our finances, we have, we have these unspoken or, or, or maybe even spoken things that we... This is what we should. I should be able to. Around our money and our possessions. And some of them, we, we could take the opportunity to say with our should-bes, is who, who told you that? Like some of them we we actually have to get back to the very root and say, who who told you that's the way it should be? Because some of them just simply aren't aren't true, and yet there's a lot of them that are, and there's nothing wrong. We we used to have I used to have this conflict with someone. Um, and, and their, kind of, their kind of world view or relational view was that to go into a relationship with expectation was, was a bad thing. That, that it was the expectation was, was the bad thing. And I found it so frustrating because there's nothing wrong with having expectation. You know, there's nothing wrong with carrying with us the should-bes of, of life. That's what those two disciples were doing. That's what they were arguing about. That's what they were discussing was all of the should-bes that they had from following this man Jesus who they saw raise people from the dead, who they saw clean leprosy from bodies, who they saw speak with power and do all of these things and who invited them to have should-bes. Think of Jesus teaching on the kingdom of God in Matthew. Like Jesus, he spent his time, all of those years of saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And yet for them, which is so important for us today, there is some stage in our journey with following Jesus that we have an almighty collision. And that's what we're reading about here. It is a collision between our perspective and our should-bes. It is a collision between our, the way we see things, our hopes for our circumstances and our situations. It is when those things come face-to-face and collide with what is a very, to this day, commonly misinterpreted kingdom of God. You know, we have the perspective of knowing that the cross was the ultimate crescendo in all of eternity, but it didn't look like it then. It looked like a colossal, absolute waste of time, a complete defeat. And, and this morning, I guess my why is that we still find ourselves as followers of Jesus 2,000 years later just in that same road to Emmaus. There's points in our life where we are confused, where we're angry, where we're sad, where we feel defeated. Where, where the questions swirl around in our heads of what was all of that all about? Or the doubt of like, what a complete waste of time. How could have I possibly been sucked into that? Can, would anyone be brave enough to say they relate? A couple people. If if you honestly don't, I'll give you this. Encu- you will. If you keep doing this, you will. And that's what we see in the a part of what we see in this chapter. You know, my why for this message has is one that I probably haven't felt for a long time, and maybe I'll blame my beautiful new granddaughter um, Laura. But it's like I have this. And so I was, I was thinking about it, and I kind of knew this is what I wanted to talk about. And then, and then I heard Maz's message, and it was kind of like all in the same area. But I thought, I can't let this go. Like from a pastoral point of view, I don't want anyone to leave this place not knowing that this is a normal healthy part of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And there are some wonderful, wonderful aspects in this story that we do well to take with us. Because I've seen in my 15 years of of leading this um, Maharangi Vineyard, I've seen a heartbreaking number of people who have in the aftermath of those collisions between their perspectives and their should-bes and what feels like a life completely being turned upside down, who have just taken the road to Emmaus and never stopped. Now, I actually have a a broader, more faith-filled place that, that... we never actually get, you know, like I, I think God's relentless pursuit of us is so great that, you know, don't hear any defeatedness in that. It's just, it's not yet. But what I'd love for us to do is think about and take with us a few things, a few practical things for when, when we find ourselves in those moments of collision or, or if we have already or even just things that we can remember when they happen. And the first is this, we do not walk alone. I think there are two disciples going to Emmaus for a very powerful reason, is that we were never created to walk this journey of following Jesus in isolation. That we have got to have people in our life that we can argue with that we can wrestle with, that we can have an honest enough conversation. I, love, I loved Mez's, um Maz has the wonderful perspective of coming, coming from a Middle Eastern background and that relationship where they yell and they argue and they fight and then they kiss and make up. I come from a white Anglo-Saxon background where you do not argue, you do not fight. If you think something, you keep it deep inside of you and you smile and you wave and you pretend at best. Do you know? Like anyone else can relate to that? What a, what a tragic way forward. That is not the way of Jesus. We, we see in this our, our, our key for our way forward is that as we journey, we do so with one another. You know, we, we've got a fairly new leadership team. And, and really early on in, in the piece, I think it was sort of one of those places where, where it was just the challenge of a new, new team came together. And, and Angela and I did what Angela and I have done for a really long time. And in the challenge, we just kind of like pull back. You know, like go turtle mode where you pull your head in and you just, and you just isolate because you're who you can count on. You know, like those internal narratives, like no one else is going to do this for you. You gotta, you gotta do it. And we, we were challenged as a team, and and I can't remember if we recognized it or they recognized it in us, but it was we had this conversation around this is never good. This can't be our way forward. When things get when things get tough, retreating and and pulling in can't be our way forward. We've got to do this together. We have to outwork and embody that our relationship is above our agreement. That we have unity above agreement. I mean, I don't know if it's too soon to use um, vaccination status as a sermon analogy, but I'm going to be brave enough to go there. I can remember and, and these guys will know it too. Like, like we, we formed this team just before that thing called COVID and then it all kind of worked out and then we were sort of finding ourselves in, around the conversation that, that literally half of our team chose to get vaccinated and half didn't. And I'll be honest, I thought, what have you done, Lyndon? You absolute moron. This is going to be a Nightmare. And yet, as we held on to relationship above decisions, above agreement, we have never been more in, in, in a more healthy place as a team. I think it's an incredible example of what we see in these two disciples journeying together through the difficulties of life. Journeying honestly and vulnerably with someone else. That's our first thing. Our second is this. Is that Jesus' desire and, and his practice is is to walk with us through our disappointment. It's to walk with us through, through those collision moments where we're faced with the harsh reality of our should-bes that have seemingly haven't turned out to work the way we thought they would. I love that it's Jesus who invited the disciples to share with him their perspective. Can I say to us, as followers of Jesus, I think we too often forget that Jesus actually cares about how you see the world. We think we have to come to Jesus and put our best foot forward, you know, to tidy ourselves up, not bring the real us to, to, to him. But, but, but bring the, the Jesus we think he, or the, the us, the version of us we think he wants us to bring. And yet we don't see that in this story. We see a Jesus who says, tell me about it. What's been going on? And then he lets them. He lets them just say it all. Like let it all hang out. I think we need, to, we need to be reminded that we are invited by Jesus to give him our everything. Our good, our bad, our ugly. Jesus wants to know your doubt. Like, like honestly, he wants you to verbalize your disappointment. And then the hope that we have in this story and in scripture is that he loves us too much to just leave it at that that we see in that verse what is it verse verse 25 and i read it in a way i hope i hope you don't hear uh, even the, the tiniest whisper of condemnation when you read the translation, are you so senseless, so slow in heart to believe the things? That is not a condemnation by God. It is an invitation to know his perspective. It is a kind invitation to, to see life through the eyes and the practice of the kingdom. And he's still inviting us to, to that same honest and kind invitation. In those moments of collision, in those moments when, when, when you're carried with you a, a narrative of this is the way my life should be, and then you find yourselves in a place where it is not that way know that Jesus is inviting you into a way that is more than you ever hoped or imagined. It is the way of the kingdom. And it is a kingdom that can turn a cross, which is the symbol of torture and of death, into the very symbol of life and hope. It is a kingdom that that turns a tomb, a place of rotting death and decay, into an empty place that brings hope, that represents hope and life. That's the perspective. And then I want to just finish with this. I love that it was at the table that their eyes were opened. And so it says, as they sat down at the table, he sat with them and he took some bread and he gave thanks. He broke it and he gave it to them. You know, there, there probably really was um, kind of like a muscle memory thing. Think of, think of all of the times that they would have actually seen with their own eyes Jesus taking bread and breaking it. Maybe he broke it from top to bottom or left to right or who knows. There would have been something, I think, more than more, you know, something physical about the act of of breaking the bread. that, That in that act, that through the Holy Spirit, their eyes were open and they recognized him can I say from for us 2,000 years later that we never stop coming to the table, that we never stop communing with Jesus, that we never stop breaking bread and drinking from his cup, that there is something so powerful in that act. That that, no matter how many times we've done it, there is still more to the breaking of bread. I love, you know, no. Great information. N. T. Wright is one of my favorite. Um, authors, my, one of my favorite theologians, and he he writes um, has an g- incredible perspective in this that he writes as he as he broke the bread and he gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, and in the Greek, which is where where originally this um, would have been, um, Luke would have been written. Um, it is the same echoes of way back in the beginning of Scripture in Genesis three, where Eve took the fruit. And she, she bit it, and she gave it to Adam. And in that moment, their eyes were opened, and they saw that they were naked. They saw their sin. And, then, and that was the start of a story of generation after generation of pain, of brokenness, of, of disappointment, of murder, of sin, of all of the hardship of humanity. And, and what Luke is saying in this is this is a, a cosmic link to Jesus undoing that. That this is more than just two disciples. That, that in the breaking of this bread, in, in the, their eyes being opened, it is, it is a link back to a healing that can never be undone that it's a restoration that can never that sin can never overcome it it's again it's like the invitation that we just had today that that the work of jesus breaks things that can never that you know that that, that can never stand in his presence this is an echo of a healing that was intended from the very beginning And then we see these disciples turning and running, running back to Jerusalem, running back to their friends and and telling them this really is, the Lord really has risen. We have with us a model that as we we have those encounters in life, those collisions of life where we are completely confronted by our perspective and the perspective of God's kingdom, we have an invitation that in those moments we can take them, we can turn, and we can be the very voice that reminds others that Jesus really is who he says he is. That God's kingdom really is coming. That his will is really being done. On earth as it is in heaven. Why don't we stand? So I hope this morning that you are encouraged.